0: Hello and welcome back to The Gold Podcast. I'm Mark Koskeeler and I am very, very excited to be kicking off our brand new season today. As ever, I'm joined by my co-host Helena Beer, the editor of Gold.
1: Indeed you are. Hello, how was your summer?
0: Lovely, although a little bit too hot for myself at uh, certain points here in London. It, uh, it, w- it was quite warm.
1: It was. I really enjoyed that, I have to say.
0: Each to their own. (laughs) How about you? What did you get up to?
1: I had a summer of hen parties and weddings. So it was very busy, but lovely.
0: So looking ahead, we're really pleased to have lots of fantastic interviews and discussions for you in the coming weeks.
1: Yes, normal podcast service is going to resume. And we've been busy lining up lots of fascinating guests from the worlds of pharma and biotech for the upcoming season. We've even got some exciting roundtable discussions in the pipeline. So do be sure to look out for those later on too.
0: Indeed. But for today, for our first episode of the new season, we're very excited to be sharing a special extended version of our recent Catalyst interview with Dr. Juby Jacob-Nara, Vice President and Global Medical Head for Respiratory, Allergy and Gastrointestinal Diseases at Sanofi.
1: Yes, this interview has been hugely popular with our Gold Magazine readers since its recent publication. We'll link it in the show notes if you want to have a read. And we're very excited to be sharing it in full with you on the podcast today.
0: But before we get to that, it's been a busy few months for the industry and while we can't begin to reflect on everything that's happened this summer in pharma, let's dig into a couple of the standout stories in our news review.
1: It was big news in July when GSK's consumer health business finally demerged into its own limited company, Halion, getting its name from the words Hale and Leon, which mean in good health and strength, respectively. Halion was officially established in late July, making it the world's biggest standalone consumer health business.
0: When the company was first floated on the London Stock Exchange, it was valued at £30.5 billion, with shares starting trading at 330 pence. However, in early August, the company faced some turbulent waters when imminent litigation in Illinois over the once-popular heartburn drug Zantac caused its stock price to crash.
1: While Halion has never sold Zantac, it was implicated as it was sold by GSK and Pfizer, two of the new company's major shareholders. The company released a statement reassuring investors but still suffered a substantial knock.
0: However, towards the end of the month, a ruling by a US judge in the case served in Halion's favour and stock prices are now starting to recover. Good news, but still not the most straightforward few months for Halion.
1: Indeed it wasn't. But on a brighter note for Halion, it recently announced a new parental leave policy, meaning that new fathers working for the company will be entitled to 26 days parental leave. This follows in the footsteps of other pharma companies such as Novartis and Sanofi, who have sought to be more generous and transparent about their paternity leave offerings.
0: If this is a topic of interest, be sure to keep an eye out on the GOLD website in the next couple of weeks where we'll be publishing a piece that dissects the industry's approach to parental leave and all of the opportunities and challenges that go with it.
1: We certainly will. Looking a bit broader now, this summer there has been a razor-sharp focus on women's health, with various stories coming out of the US and UK. But most recently, last week in fact, the Gates Foundation made a move to bankroll Celanese's work to develop a refillable, long-acting implant for the delivery of a contraceptive drug.
0: Yes, I read about that too. The company has pledged $625,800 to support the creation of a prototype, and if this comes to fruition it could be hugely impactful in low to middle income communities. If implants can be worn for longer, it reduces the number of visits to contraception clinics that would be required for the patient.
1: Absolutely. There is so much we could say on women's health. It's been a really important summer for this area of healthcare, particularly the overall pharma response to Roe versus Wade in the US. And this is something we'll actually be covering in detail in the October issue of Gold. So do keep your eyes peeled for that piece next month. Now, Mark, shall we move on to our interview?
0: Yes, absolutely. So now we have our chat with Dr. Juby Jacob-Nara, Vice President and Global Medical Head for Respiratory, Allergy and Gastrointestinal Diseases at Sanofi. Our Assistant Editor, Isabella O'Brien, caught up with Juby for the latest issue of Gold, and she's picked out some of her favourite moments from the interview for us to share with you today.
1: Juby covers a whole host of topics, including her move from medicine to medical affairs, the value of cross-functional learning, her passion for professional development, and much more. Mark, I'm going to hand over to you for this one. Take it away.
0: Thank you very much, Helena. I'll dive straight in. First up, Isabel asked Juby about what drew her into the pharmaceutical industry. Juby began her professional life as a physician working in multiple disciplines and countries around the world. But one day she learned of an opportunity in pharma that really appealed. Let's hear her story.
2: So, you know, it's interesting because back in the day, and that was 1998, actually, um, when you think of pharma, you don't really think of physicians in pharma it wasn't as much unless it's truly clearly just as an investigator or someone very much knee-deep in research and um pharma was just known as the dark side and for me i didn't know any better i mean i've had reps come to me and back in malaysia and india and then i basically was working in the u.s when um I met quite a few people. I was working in dermatology, no less. And um, they were initiating at that time, this whole concept of the MSL program. And they were looking into how do we get credible people who can be at a peer level standing to talk to these external experts from a national perspective. And being in the US, the US is clearly a very important geography from uh, a potential stakeholder right now as a composed as, as compared to a lot of the other countries or affiliates uh, US and the potential for revenue and the whole healthcare model in the US uh, was one that lent itself to being prioritized amongst pretty much everyone in industry so they were trying to find models in which HCP engagement was optimized. Um, from a science perspective, not just from a sales or marketing perspective. And I thought, hmm, you know, it's interesting. And they were like, oh, we really like uh, people like yourself to be able to come on board any chance of sending us your resume. I just took it like not really interested and didn't really bother. Then they sent me emails and um, asked again. And I thought, hey, you know what? Let me just try it. Let me see what happens without any expectations see what happens and I really wasn't planning on leaving medicine to be honest with you and the intent was really to be one of the pioneers of this whole MSL program which has different names in different companies and um, I've always been a fan of helping educate people Um, even when I was practicing and even when I was working with junior residents etc It's always been something to me about communicating, about Mm. taking these complex matters and deep held signs and making them to digestible bites and points of remembrance, points to clearly uh, plant in a mind that they remember that aspect of it. And it helps them in the train of thought. So that's how I first came on. And um, although it was not a deep seated seated desire in pharma, it was like, huh, let let me try this and you know what after a while I'll go back and practice medicine well 24 years later now i'm still here
0: fascinating to hear how juby joined the industry at such a pivotal moment for medical affairs we'll hear more about her passion for msl teams later on but now let's see why juby chose to stay in pharma rather than returning to a career in medicine
2: i think it's it's all the science it's all the different things that the opportunities there are on how you can make a difference you know so industry is not just about what a lot of folks don't see in their tunnel vision they see oh they're just trying to sell drugs to doctors they're just and and then they're just trying to corrupt things they're all about money Mm -hmm. Um, it's way more than that so as I've been in industry all these years, and obviously you you people may see that I've had many roles across different functions. I found uh, all the stuff that they do internally and externally with people like public affairs and patient advocacy, the managed care aspect of things and getting things on formulary and the how you do that. You know, working with uh, government bodies in terms of policymaking. I've been involved in all of these internally, you know, in terms of working with the agencies, whether it's FDA, EMA, whether it's ACIP or JCVI or ATAGI in Australia. I've had the opportunity to engage at such great levels across different organizations and different bodies. I've had the opportunity to speak at the UN. Um, You know, I've had so many tremendous opportunities if one were to truly dig deep about what you can do, the bigger question is what you can't do, you know? Um, so that's what led me to stay. I've, I've had many roles um, while earlier on, I got a lot of my learnings and foundations at MSD or Merck um, and, and I stayed really put. I, I really did get a lot of foundation and growth there. And then after that, it further expanded with the other companies that I've worked at, such as GlaxoSmithKline, Novartis, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, and of course, Sanofi, where I'm at currently. So that led me to continue because in each step, I continued to learn. Mm -hmm. And one thing you don't want to do is stagnate wherever you are, even in practicing medicine, you don't want to stagnate. Then you keep that excitement going. And that's important to have that excitement going and truly be looking forward to the next day. What are we going to do? What are we going to accomplish? How do we move the needle?
0: It's a matter of what you can do rather than what you can't do and the ample opportunity for every day to be exciting and never stagnate. Both great reasons for Juby to have stuck around in the industry, as I'm sure you'll agree. In our next clip, Juby touches on something she discusses there, which is working in a variety of different roles alongside medical. Isabel asked her what she thinks she gained from a cross-functional experience and whether she thinks other aspiring medical affairs leaders should do the same.
2: Yeah, so first and foremost, I always tell, and I mentor a lot of people, and I tell folks that you need to understand who you are. First, do a deep dive on yourself understand what your passions are, understand what excites you, and and what do you enjoy doing. And unless you kind of experiment, you might not even find out. So I suggest people to do their research and find out what moves them. So if you're truly a medical person, and that's all you love, I'm not going to encourage you to do something else. But I personally benefited significantly in the different roles and functions per se that I've had the opportunity to be part of. And the reason I say that is, you know, most medical people are more about understanding all the pieces and how the pieces fit. It's truly about diagnosing, right? In order Mm -hmm. to diagnose, you need to have history, you need to have the inputs, the outputs, you put it together and you come with the best solution. And so being in sales, helped me see a lot of the challenges that our colleagues in sales go through. But from there, I went back to the MSL kind of role and worked with even more senior leaders and experts and saw how do we best uh, develop material. In other words, how do we empower these folks that are in the field seeing the top guns of medicine out there? And so these things come into my mind. From there, I went into a marketing role. Now that was, they wanted someone in medical to come in because a lot of the challenges that marketing had were those that medical would say, no, you can't do that or no, you can't do this because it's before approval. And we were in a highly regulated space where things could be perceived as pre-approval promotion, et cetera. So, being a medical person, I could bring my expertise in and say, well, instead of this being a no, here's how you could think of it and do it. So it allowed me to expand my thought process in terms of A, understanding challenges, B, helping create material that would be most useful and beneficial to both the provider and your stakeholders externally, as well as bring solutions from a medical perspective. So these different roles just helped me get perspective, but not just that, it also helped me grow in understanding holistically of how to make things work and understand roles and how they need to marry within each other. Having these abilities to interact with these customers only further fuels your ability to help an organization such as Sanofi, such as any of these companies that I've worked for, uh, be fit for purpose and truly do good in making a difference and moving that needle.
0: A brilliant double win there for cross-functional experience, not only helpful for personal growth as a medical affairs professional, but also delivering fantastic value to those other functions too. Next up, Isabel asked Juby about the future of MSL teams and sales forces, asking whether she thinks MSL teams will grow and sales teams will shrink in the future. Let's hear what she had to say.
2: So if you're talking about specific numbers, I think it's going to be sort of a different model. To your first question, will MSL teams grow? Absolutely. I agree that it will because the value of that MSL, usually for the most part being a, a peer level individual, that would be able to speak in a way that is um, able to address questions that experts have, where there's a limitation in what you can speak, being part of um, a sales organization. That part is definitely very useful, something that all HCPs and external experts and clinical experts like because you have this free range of conversation so that when an expert or an HCP has a question you're able to address it in the most scientific and clear manner to give them a factual answer or to give them the scientific data so that way it really is a conversation rather than what most folks look at sales as your sales pitch, and you need to close and get a commitment from a, from an HCP. But that doesn't mean that the sales organization is going to shrink. I think that in sales organization, it's going to change. They really have to adopt a model that is um, continuously learning and continuously adapting and being agile and agile. Um, for the needs of that HCP, because many times they don't have time for that. They just want the samples or they might want this. So they're still gonna have to deliver samples because samples are tremendously valuable for practice. But you may not have that model where you're going in all the time. It might be through the computer or through digital advances. And so while it's it's gonna, it might shrink in terms of physical visits as such um, in the long run, I think that there's still going to be room for that and there's just going to be a hybrid model that continues to evolve.
0: Clearly, there is huge and ongoing value for both teams, but the forms these interactions will take are set to change in the future. In our next clip, Juby dives into attracting talented individuals into the pharma industry and why it's so important to have a workforce from a huge range of professional backgrounds. Let's find out how this can drive progress and achieve better outcomes.
2: Well, so uh, at Santa Fe, we are doing quite a bit in terms of opportunities. We have a VIE program, which is for XUS. We have a fellowship program with it. Uh, we embody a lot of different people that have done careers that are of a doctoral nature and who would like to experience what it's like in pharma, the different projects that we're doing so that they can kind of um, – go into different divisions and see what it's like. Um, And and we give that diversity of experience for not just them to explore and have an opportunity, but also for us to see how we can leverage and open new roles. Now, the functions are what they are, but it continues to evolve in terms of how it's deepening and how much knowledge we really need. Pharma is a space where it's not it's not a tunnel vision, it is very broad. What I would highlight is if you want a taste of how to make an impact in people's lives, save lives, make better lives, but truly still work in your space and you know be innovative in terms of how do you expand that space, this is a great place to be.
0: A rallying call there for anyone who's considering joining the industry. It's now time for our next and final clip in which Juby reflects on the origins of her passion for professional development. She discusses the importance of empowering yourself to succeed, particularly when joining the industry as a physician with little to no business experience.
2: So before I even go into where and what, I have to say, you know, having a strong supportive family is mm. super helpful. I, you know, my husband was always supportive. In the interim, in my career journey and trajectory, I also ensured to be a mom, a wife, a daughter, etc. And and I had to I had three kids, um, managed to do work full time, as well as study at the same time. And why I felt compelled to study is because I needed to change the narrative of being what they call oh she's a physician. So when I was credentialed, in 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 business. I have two business degrees, two MBAs. It was like, oh, wait a second, she's a physician. And and you'll see that many more physicians have done so. And this further empowers us. So it was more for the empowerment. And we're in an age now that women are getting more recognition and are given more opportunities, which when I first started, it wasn't like that. It was a world where it was everyone on the top was truly a man and not only did i want to empower myself to be credentialed to further demonstrate that hey i can do this mm-hmm. but i think that the the proof was in the pudding in terms of what my deliverables were in each role and how you know i've been blessed with the opportunity to be able to succeed so it's not easy i will not say it's it's easy. Because let me tell you, there were sleepless nights, tons of them, and uh, frustration to no end. I was in a different country trying to do a final and managing that time zone to submission time in this time zone. So yes, I. but I do believe that continuous learning keeps us on our toes, keeps us well informed. And it's not just continuous learning where we're talking about degrees, but it's also You know, educating ourselves on the here and the now and keeping up to speed on what's going on. You need to be out there knowing the trends, what's happening, what are the discussions that are going on and be equipped to help in terms of the landscape and communicate, hey, we're seeing these trends, we're seeing the following. We need to be nimble, agile, and and be ahead of the curve. So these things have helped me in my career, helped me in terms of helping others um, mm-hmm. within industry and, and giving advice and mentoring others as well. Mm-hmm. And so if you're able to have the fortitude and you know, be able to diversify and enjoy this, then I say go for it. I'm not saying continuously studying is for everyone, you know. Um, But all of these aspects help me to have that point of view that embodies everything. And that is truly holistic.
0: Really fascinating interview with Juby there. What were your standout moments there, Helena?
1: I have to say, I really love Juby's honesty about not having a deep rooted desire to be in pharma, but actually being suckered in when she least expected it. And I think as well, that the point she made about being able to make a difference, it's a similar difference to the one that she would have made in medicine, but executed in a slightly different way.
0: It was a really good example of trying something new and different and leading to something unexpected. So she found a passion that she really didn't Think that she was probably going to have, and uh, ultimately ran with it, and got to the point of of now having two MBAs. I
1: know it's such an impressive journey. As Juby is a pioneer of the MSL program, it would be remiss of us not to mention a feature that we published in the latest issue of Gold. It looks in depth at the future of MSls, and it builds on Juby's comments about how the function will likely evolve over the coming months and years. So do check that out. We will put a link in the show notes.
0: And that, sadly, is all we have time for this week. Thank you for joining us for our brand new series of The Gold Podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday, as usual, with another exciting episode.
1: Yes, and if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming interviews with the very best of pharma and biotech.
0: Indeed, and if you wish to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or otherwise, then please do. Otherwise, do take care and we'll see you next week.
1: Bye for now.